the importance of distinctions, especially creation distinctions. That's the topic that we had at our creation conference a couple of weeks ago. Hi, YouTube. Wait a minute. Hey, podcast theologians. Pastor Wolfmuller here. Glad you're listening to What Not the Podcast. Uh, here's a lecture recorded on November the 5th about the importance of creation distinctions. And then we'll see. Here's the first point. And by the way, I, I always appreciate these, um, these conferences because it gives us an opportunity to sort of think deeply about something or at least to think focused or markedly about something. I appreciate that for myself as well as an opportunity. I, I hope this will be an exercise in thinking about these things together. So really, I want to bounce a, a number of ideas off of you. But I want to work our way towards the way that the devil attacks uh, the doctrine that we confess of creation. And, and I also want to head in this way. The first point is that the devil only destroys. The devil only can attack what God has set up. The devil can't create. He can only corrupt. And there's a number, and, and what that means is that there's a number of ways that the devil attacks, and that's why it's sometimes, I think, difficult for us. Uh, you know, a tree just stands one way, but it can fall over a number of different ways, right? There's some joke about that. You, there's only one way to stand up. There's a lot of ways to fall over. There's a lot of ways that the devil can push us. And I think that's one of the reasons why our own times are always confusing. In fact, I think that every time, if you just go throughout human history, the time in which you live is a very confusing time. This is the experience of all humanity. This is why it's so nice to have poets. This is one of the things that the poets have tried to do. The same with the prophets. Is they, they've tried to offer clarity on the times in which we live because it's just hard for us to tell. We can look back on the past generations and see with a little bit more clarity what they were struggling with. But to understand our own times is always difficult. It's always the case. I think one of the ways that we can have clarity is that we can recognize that the Lord has created this world and set up a number of institutions, and all of the fogginess in which we live is simply the fog of war as the devil attacks those institutions. So you have a handout that looks kind of crazy. Do you have that picture of the anti-catechism there? Yes. You see something like that? All this, this is my idea of trying to outline the, the devil's attacks on what the Lord has instituted. Now, I don't know if you heard it when we, when we were reading Genesis 1, but it, time after time, it said, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. And when the Lord spoke, then there was. So, so that everything that we see is the result of the Lord speaking. But we can divide that up into three basic words. We have the word that creates, and we have the word that redeems. That's Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have the Word that sanctifies, the Word of the Holy Spirit, which is in the preaching of the church. So you see under the big, I'm looking on the left side of the page, you see the big, the Word, and then you see that first big circle on the top, that's the created Word, first article, the incarnate Word, second article, the sanctifying Word, the church, the third article. Now our attention is especially going to be in the first article, and if we could understand that the Lord has ordered this world according to the Ten Commandments, He's given Himself to us. So you see the very first circle at the top, the three commandments, God, His name, His word. And then you see the next seven little circles under the second table, the gift of the neighbor. God gives us authority, life, marriage, chastity, property, reputation, contentment. And, and then what we realize, if the Lord has instituted this, that the devil is attacking it. 
Now, sometimes it's difficult when we look at our culture to say, well, what, what's happening? H how did we get from the sexual revolution to the, to the LGBTQAI plus revolution? How did we get from, from sinning against marriage to redefining marriage? How did we get from, from redefining marriage to redefining gender? How do we make those loops? And it's often very difficult for us to try to figure all of that stuff out. But what we can realize is that all of this is simply an attack on what the Lord has put in place. And that brings clarity. To recognize, for example, that the, that the devil is attacking God's gift of marriage. That the devil is attacking God's gift of creation. That the devil is attacking God's gift of life. That the devil is attacking God's gift of property, whatever it is, that the devil is attacking it. And he might attack it a number of different ways. The seventh commandment, you can break, you shall not steal, you can break a lot of different ways. You can break it by stealing, you could break it by greed, you could break it by laziness, you could break it by idolatry, you could break it by abolishing private property. There's a lot of different ways to break the seventh commandment, but we recognize that that's what the devil is attacking, that one gift, the gift of well, in the seventh commandment, the gift of stuff, the, the, that the Lord lets us write our name on things, right? So, so I, I, I want us, to, I want us to, 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 to move from the cloudiness of war to recognizing what's being attacked, and that's what the, the anti-catechism does. Now, I want to I press a little bit further because the devil will make now, on the Lord's institutions, the devil will make, in general, two kinds of attacks. I want to use some language from the history of the church. Nestorius and Eutyches were two ancient heretics. And they, and, and Nestorianism and Eutychianism, I'm back on, yeah, I'm back on the handout and you have a picture there, kind of a blurry picture. They, they were uh, heretics when it came to the doctrine of Christ. And they made two opposite errors. Nestorius divided the two natures. The divine and human nature were not only to be distinct from one another, but they were to be separated from one another. He denied the true union of the two natures in Christ. One of the ways that they, that they sussed out Nestorianism was to ask, what do you say of Mary? Is Mary the mother of God? And Nestorius said, no, Mary is the mother of the human nature of Christ. You see the division in the two natures there, that they were separate. So who suffered on the cross? The human nature of Christ, separate from the divine nature. On the other hand, you have Eutychius, who blended the two natures. They got confused into one another. They were, they were, they were merged in such a way that they weren't held to be distinct. And you see here, by the way, the whole, well, not the whole of theology, but one of the big things in theology is always to maintain a distinction without a separation to distinguish without separating. So Nestorius separates, Eutyches fails to distinguish. But I, we're not talking about Christology today, the doctrine of Christ, but we just see that there, there's two ways that the devil will attack. He will pull apart what God has put together, or he will blur what the Lord has distinguished. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this pulling apart. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit because I, 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 I've just been, I think that's one of the big things that we have and it's this kind of constant thing of to pull apart the, the devil's all, and I see it just in pastoral care, how the Lord is trying to pull 
parents and children apart, pull husband and wife apart, pull Christians apart from the church. There's this, this, there's a real sort of Nestorian effort that the devil is, is undergoing. And one of the big things that's happened in the transgender revolution is the devil has pulled apart body and soul or body and mind or, or uh, me and my body. That, that's, the Lord has put us together as body and soul and the devil has pulled it apart like this. That's an Nestorian error. Transgenderism is an Nestorian error. But there's also, and this is, this is what I want to reflect on a little bit with you all today, there's also a Eutychian sort of push to a number of things that we're facing today, and that is the devil's attack of blurring distinctions. He takes things that are supposed to be separate or distinguished from one another, and he starts to blend them into one another. Uh, well, well, a little bit more, but let me look at point three here. What we see, what we're facing in our own culture is most especially an attack on the doctrine of creation. I used to be upset about this because as I studied the martyrs and those who died, I've been studying the martyrs for a while and those who died for their faith, they, they were second article martyrs. They died because they confessed Christ. They would go to the Roman proconsul and the proconsul would say, say, Caesar is Lord. And they said, no. Jesus is Lord. Can't do it. I said, if you don't do it, then we're going to have to cut your head off or burn you or feed you to this lion or do all sorts of other things. Creative, that was the Roman creative ingenuity. They, they could, there's a million different ways they could torture you. And the Christian said, fine, throw me to the lions. Jesus is Lord. That's it. And they're like, are you sure? It's only like a pinch of incense and one little thing and go home and do whatever you want. We don't even care. No, they refuse. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And they got to die confessing Jesus is Lord. The fight for us is, if you, if you go out and stand on the corner and you say Jesus is Lord, I don't think anybody cares. But if you stand up and you say that men are men and women are women, now all of a sudden the pitchforks come out. Or that marriage is a man or a woman, or that God hates divorce, or whatever. Even that God created the world. That the world is not that old. I think it's, yeah, my favorite response, by the way, to the question about the age of the earth is like, you just, you don't ask a lady how old she is, right? That's just, <laughs> it's rude. But it is an amazing thing to think about. Like, do we think of creation as like the old lady in the nursing home? Or do we think of creation as having this vibrance to it? And evolutionism wants us to be convinced that, that, uh, that the universe is in the old age home. That, that it denies the vibrancy of everything. I think that's just a terrible sort of thing. But, but you, you stand up and confess, hey, I think the earth is not that, I think the, the whole universe is not that old. Boy, oh boy, that'll get you in trouble. That's where, the, that's where the pressure is coming on the church today. That's where the persecution is coming in the church today. Not second article persecution, Christ is Lord, but first article persecution, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, which is one of the reasons why this conference today is so important, one of the reasons why this whole conversation is so important, because this is where the pressure is coming from in our culture. And while the, the different pressures, so there is a, there is a pressure to not confess Jesus as Lord, that's, all, that's, that's obviously true. 
There's a different pressure to not confess God as maker and creator. There's a different result. And the reason is this. Let me take a half step back to remind you of this, of a distinction in catechism. Remember in your catechism class when you were learning about the different kinds of knowledge of God? There's the natural knowledge of God and there's the revealed knowledge of God. The natural knowledge of God is known in creation and in the conscience. The revealed knowledge of God is brought to us only in the scripture. The natural knowledge of God tells us that God created the world, that he ordered the world, and that we're out of order with the world. In other words, that God is big, good, and mad. <laughs> but re uh, revealed knowledge teaches us that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the second person of the Trinity is in our flesh to be our Savior, to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. That Christ is Lord. That's the revealed knowledge of God. And while there's a danger in rejecting the revealed knowledge of God, there's a specific danger in rejecting the natural knowledge of God. In other words, in other words as, I, as our culture and even as, our, and, and as we are tempted to reject the confession that God is creator, we're not just rejecting something that God told us in his word, we're rejecting something that God has written in our hearts. It's there, there, there's a, and, and that we're rejecting what we see with our eyes. We're rejecting what we feel in our own conscience. We're rejecting what we know is true. To in, in other words, what I'm suggesting, and, and the implications of this I think are profound, and I'm just trying to, to suss them out myself. And so your own thinking about this I think will be very helpful. But when we reject God as creator, it's a, it's what it's what Paul calls in Romans one. It's a suppression. It, it is it is an act of denying what we in fact already know. We'll look at that a little bit more. The the, the uh, we're first article martyrs. Here I say on your handout, which causes different problems because it's a rejection of the natural knowledge of God. It's a rejection of what we know, what we see, what we feel in our own conscience. So there's a, particular, there's a particular strain that happens internally when a person lies to themselves. And that's what the denial of God as creator is. It's a lying to yourself. And there's a... Uh, you know, one of the results of lying is uh, it's like a it's like a hyper vigilance. It's like a it's a there's a hyper defensiveness that happens. But when you lie to yourself, it's even taken up a notch. So so as we're dealing with those who are denying God as Creator, we're, we're dealing with that kind of there's a there's a there's a corruption that's happened already in the mind and the conscience, a darkness that's there that's difficult to deal with. All right, let me just put that there and, and get down to the blur stuff. Okay, so point four, Gnosticism, the pulling apart attack. Uh, we, we understand, and this is something of a review, we understand that Gnosticism is, a, is the foundational heresy that exists all the time. Just as a review, Gnosticism is the idea that the world is split into two parts. The fact-value distinction is a, is a form of Gnosticism that Dr. Heck was talking about there. But the basic idea is you have the spirit, 
or the idea realm or the concept realm or the whatever. Uh, you have an upper layer and that's where holiness is and then you have a corrupted lower mat layer of stuff. Okay? The ancient Gnostics taught that, that anything that had to do with material things was utterly corrupt and that the spirit was what was, what was holy and good. The way that shows up for us is that the soul or the mind is what's holy and the body is what is weak and corrupt and dying. You'll remember that, remember this came out a few years ago, the Gospel of Judas. Remember the Gospel of Judas? This must have been 2003. I remember I was on Vicarage in Waco. That Someone found some old book and they said, hey, look, Gospel of Judas. No. Gospel of Judas. Is that, Gospel of Thomas has been old. Gospel of Thomas is, we were looking at that a couple of weeks ago when we did our transgender conference. The, the, this is an interesting thing to track down. The very last line of the Gospel of Thomas is where Peter says, hey, send Mary Magdalene away. She's a woman. And Jesus says, I'll teach her how to become a man so that she can be saved. What? Just, you can just, that's Gnosticism. Wow. Uh, the Gospel of Judas has this line where Judas, no, Jesus says to Judas, you are the one who will set me free. Now, what is, how could that mean? What, what is that talking about? You are the one who will set me free. What, Judas is the one who's going to betray Jesus so that he'll be killed, and they understand that, that death is freedom because the soul gets to leave this corrupt prison of the body. Your, you are, your body is an imprisonment, which is why you hear all the time this Gnostic phrase, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. The body as prison is, the, is, the, is one of the, is how Gnosticism teaches us to see our created nature, okay? So that they want to distinguish between spirit and matter. Spirit is good, matter is bad. Now, now, what we recognize is death, remember, someone asked me this the other day. They said, Pastor, what is death? How does the Bible define death? And we know the answer from catechism class. The unnatural rending of body and soul. The unnatural separation of body and soul. When your body and soul are pulled apart, even though they never were supposed to be. And I realized as I was telling them that, that's just what Gnosticism does. It kills you without killing you. If, if it can separate your, the, your body and soul from one another as if the two are totally different things, then, you're, then you're, you're spiritually murdered. It's an amazing thing. So we have a lot of Gnosticism floating around. We, we are, are and, we, and it's good to remember it's a heresy, and it's good to remember this, that we are Christians living in a Gnostic culture and, and that everybody out there has adopted a different form of Gnosticism. We'll talk about this a little more after lunch. And, and so that's all, that's the heresy that we're dealing with. And so we can hear people talking about like, oh, I remember you're a Gnostic heretic. I mean, maybe you don't want to say that <laughs> right away, but at least we can recognize it. Yes, sir. Like Paul does say, and this is the point of this, who will free us from this body, who will free us from this body of death, but we're given a new body, right? So the whole thing is, Talk about our flesh being corrupt, and we're given a new body. It's, it's not this total separation because we're created by 
Yeah, we are created body and soul, and what's important, so the Bible makes also the distinction between body and soul, body, soul, spirit sometimes, it also makes the distinction between spirit and flesh, okay? And here's, but this is what is the, what is the flesh? That means the sinful part of us. What's the spirit? It means the godly part of us. Here's, here's how Gnosticism does it. Gnosticism says the soul-body distinction is the spirit-flesh distinction. So your soul is the spirit part of you, and your body is the flesh part of you. That's Gnosticism, and that's wrong. We understand that the spirit-body distinction, the spirit-flesh distinction cuts across the soul-body distinction. The flesh is the sinful part of you, and do you only sin with your body? No! Your worst sins are what are happening in your soul, unbelief, doubt, fear of God's judgment. And your spirit, it's not just your soul that's spiritual. Was it your soul that was baptized? Tomorrow you're going to eat a spiritual meal with your physical mouth. When you're hearing the word of God, you have holy ears. In fact, the, God, the Lord has given you a body. He, every gift of God comes through your body. Every gift of God comes through your body. The word of God comes through your ear. Baptism, the Holy Spirit, the gift, everything comes through your body to your soul. It's, this is the direction. that the, so, so remember when the Lord created Adam and Eve, body and soul, he looked at him and said, it's good. And then they fell, and it was bad. And then the Lord redeemed us, and now we're this fight between good and evil. So that we are, we are body and soul, and we are spirit, flesh, but that's not the same distinction. It's a crossways distinction. Does that make sense? Gnosticism wants to do it this way, and separate and separate what God always wants together. That's why the Gnostics all deny the resurrection. Why would you want to come back into your body? The whole goal is to get out of it. So that it's only really, I mean, the, the religions that come from Abraham that have the resurrection. Reincarnation is a form of Gnosticism, right? Because your identity can float from one body to another. And transgenderism is really reincarnation avoiding death. <laughs> you don't have to die to get into a different body. You just give yourself a different body. Now, that's why, they, that's why there's the dead naming, right? I'm, I, I have a new life. And that's why they talk about, I mean, all the language of new birth and dying and rising and all that comes into the transgender stuff. All right, now, now, on to point five. We're ready? This is a warm-up to where we're going. Because not only do we see things that belong together, the devil trying to tear apart, and especially understand this in families, especially understand this husband and wife, especially understand our own identity as body and soul, we also see the devil trying to blur distinctions that the Lord has made. And there's three fundamental distinctions that I think the devil is attacking here. And those are the difference, the distinctions between the creator and the creature, the, cre the distinction between man and beast, and the distinction between man and woman. Those are right there in the beginning. God was the creator, and the creation is distinct from him. But if there is no God, if there is no creator, then God and creation are all wrapped into one. It's not the father who creates, it's mother nature who gives birth. 
And evolution also does, you know, we've seen the, we've seen the pictures, and Dr. Heck has, a, those were really great quotes about this, you, you, but you see the evolutionary picture, which goes from the, from the ape to the man, or you can see the whole picture of evolution, which goes from the single cell all the way to all the, the evolutionary tree. You've seen the pictures. In other words, there's a straight line between humanity and the other creatures. There's no distinction between man and beast. Or if there's a distinction there, it's an artificial distinction. I'll show you a little bit more about that. And also this distinction between man and woman. I, I think a lot of this goes back to the beginning when the Lord said, uh, for example, let man have dominion. That dominion is lost when you blur the distinction between creature and crea or between man and beast. And then when the Lord makes them male and female, he gives a husband and wife to one another, he says, be fruitful and multiply, that that distinction is also blurred. So that, so that these, and there's a lot of other distinctions. I hope you heard it when we were reading Genesis 1, that the Lord is dividing, 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 dividing. There's all these different divisions that are there. That the devil is now trying to, 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 to kind of mush back together in this Eutychian attack, trying to mush back together the things that the Lord has divided. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about each of these distinctions. Let's look at the creature-creator distinction. That's on the, on the next page. This distinction is blurred by evolution. Well, it's, 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 let me just, it's, it's blurred by an by a atheistic cosmology, which says that there is no God, there is no creator, that we are in the midst of a big accident. I call that evolutionism, by the way, but I don't know. I used to, for fun, although it was never fun, I used to go on these atheist YouTube shows and debate with the guys, and I would always get blasted away. I mean, I don't know what these guys would do, is like sit in their rooms all day thinking of ways to blast away at the Christians. So I would always lose those debates. I'm, I don't even know if they were debates. I remember one time I went on to this debate and I said, my whole goal, I, this is, you know, thinking to myself, my whole goal is to get him to admit that without God, there's no right and wrong. There's no morality apart from God. And so I made this argument right at the beginning, this big argument, and I said, so if what I'm saying is true, and there, or if what you're saying is true, and there is no God and no creator, then there's no such thing as morality and right and wrong. Ha-ha! And he said, of course. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> that's, like, uh, that's like when I would wrestle my brothers and they would just go limp and say, you win. That's no fun. <laughs> So what do you say to that? It's like, well, I just, I'm glad I'm not your neighbor, you know. <laughs> Don't quit taking my stuff. Uh, but, uh, oh, so all these guys would get, this is not, I would say, that's not evolution. Evolution is a biological thing. It doesn't have anything to do with the origins. It doesn't have anything to do with the Big Bang and all this. Okay, so, so uh, which is fine, I guess. So, uh, so, um, uh, a secular cosmology, that there is no God, uh, really destroys that distinction, that, there, there, that basically there is no creator, so we have to create ourselves. I pulled, just as an example of this, I pulled a couple of paragraphs from the transcript of the briefing from Al Mohler. I don't know if you guys know this. I think it's a great resource. 
Dr. Albert Moeller is president of Southern Seminary, and every day he has just a little 20-minute uh, podcast uh, called The Briefing, and he'll go over news and events, compare it to uh, Christian worldview. This Wednesday, he was talking about an argument from, it was the medical argument uh, about um, gender stuff, uh, gender medicine. And I pulled a couple paragraphs that I thought were pretty helpful. He goes back to a couple of uh, Supreme Court decisions. I'll just read it here. Justice Kennedy offered way back in 1992 what he saw as the argument for the individual's right to define his or her own self. He wrote, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. So rather than, than things being created and also therefore defined, it is up to us to define existence, meaning, the universe. You define, can you imagine? You define the universe. I think the universe is, I mean, what would you say? A coffee shop. <laughs> I mean, how can you... Justice Kennedy would later, 2003, write the majority opinion in the case known as Lawrence v. Texas that struck down all state so-called anti-sodomy laws. Justice Kennedy would repeat himself in the exact words of the late Justice Antonin Scalia. He referred to this as the... Uh, oh, there's a, there's a little thing missing there. He would repeat those exact words in the Obergefell decision. Same words. In the words of the late Justice Anton Scalia, he referred to this as the famed sweet mystery of life passage. In Justice Scalia's words, ate the rule of law. <laughs> now this is a fundamentally important because Justice Scalia says, look, if they're rights, those rights have to be grounded in reality, but not if there's no creator. They also, by the way, would have been grounded in terms of American public life and the text of the United States Constitution. But of course, the Constitution of the United States doesn't even come close to granting or recognizing on the part of every single individual American a right to define existence in our own terms. And there's another reason for that. It's not only constitutionally implausible, it is, just to state at the very least, in truth and in time, in space and history, impossible. The cosmos does not come to terms with our self-understanding We've got to come to terms with the cosmos. Do you see that? The co it's not the, it's not the, the universe that's, that comes into terms with our own understanding of ourselves. That's, the, that's working backwards. But, but you can't escape that conclusion if, there is, if you blur the distinction between the creator and the creation. We do understand... Uh, Dr. Mueller concludes, we do understand all of a sudden we're at this intersection because the entire ideology of the transgender movement is about the cosmos having to come to terms with me rather than about me having to come to terms with the cosmos. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a nice snapshot of the picture of the, what happens when you blur the distinction between the creator and the creature. What happens when you blur the distinction between man and beast? Dr. Heck gave us a couple of examples of this in his own things. I pulled this from PETA.org. This, this blurring happens, by the way, by environmentalism and especially the, the dangers now of what's called speciesism. You, I suspect, are all speciists. 
That is, you think that humans are different than the other animals and that humans are to be prioritized above the other animals. How crazy is that? People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals is the largest animal rights organization in the world. PETA entities have more than I'm PETA opposes speciesism. Speciesism. A human supremacist worldview and focuses its attention on four areas where the largest number of animals suffer the most intensely the longest period of time. I'm always, I ask this question as a pastor all the time, which is, are there going to be animals in heaven? And my answer is, I hope not, because I just can't imagine lining up, getting into heaven and lining up to meet about 9,000 chickens that I ate. <laughs> handful of cows, maybe a dog and a snake mixed in there, <laughs> asking how they tasted. And it is unique that with the animals that we want to be in heaven are probably not the ones that we had for dinner. Dogs and cats, not cows and chickens. I do think there will be animals, of course, in the resurrection. The continuity of uh, the personalities that get us from here to the resurrection does not exist in animals. That's the point, is that the Lord has created us unique uh, amongst all the animals. But there's a danger that happens. Uh, we saw a little bit of it, and again, Dr. Heck mentioned it earlier, but we saw a little bit of it when the, remember when, was it a child that was dropped in the, in the zoo in the, in the gorilla pen, right? And all of a sudden the snipers show up and killed the gorilla which makes me think of zoos differently. <laughs> like, how many snipers are on call around here? <laughs> right? Like, Don't get out of line at the zoo, kids. <laughs> but there was a huge protest of that because how dare you kill an animal for, to, save a, to save a child? That's this speciesism. The, all that sort of happens there. Uh, and then the, the last uh, distinction that we see is um, the LGBTQ blurring of distinctions, which uh, is the blurring this distinction between man and woman. Now, I think it's really interesting that I had not seen this before. Uh, thinking about this helped me to see it, is that you, we are uh, soul and body, but I am a man. And there is a soul and a body and that is a woman, and that the Lord has put soul and body together, and he's made a distinction between man and woman, so that, the, so that what we're dealing with is, no, split soul and body and blur male and female. So it's a Nestorian error on the self. It's a Eutychian error on the gender. And, and you hear the error there is that there's, we're, we're against the binary. There's a whole spectrum that we're dealing with. Okay. Now, this is not unexpected. This attack on creation and the results of these attacks on creation are, in fact, what St. Paul tells us happens. When we blur the distinction between the creator and the creature, we then, we don't have, we're worshiping creatures, as Dr. Heck said, so that what do you have to worship? You don't have another to worship, so you start to worship creation. You start to worship the self. Instead of the, I had this on the thing I didn't put in, there's another big old uh, debate 
between the homo and the homoi. This is another old, this is the Arian debate. Uh, uh, we say that Jesus is uh, homoousius, of the same substance with God the Father. And Arius said that, no, Jesus is homoi, of like substance with the Father. And you see, the error is that Arius was trying to put a like where there should have been a same. But what happens is then you reverse it so that we make God the same as us instead of being like us. And now instead of worshiping God in whose image and likeness we're made, we're worshiping the creature. And now this homo starts to bleed into everything else. So that Paul says that giving up the distinction between God, we worship now that which is the same for us, and that even shows up now in marriage. That's the Romans 1 line of argument. Do you see Romans 1 there? I don't have it on my... I have a Bible, though. Don't worry. And, and we'll, I, I just want to look at this and give a couple of hints at what we're going to talk about, and then we'll t I'll take a couple of questions and we'll take a break. And then we'll come back after lunch and press on this a little bit further. But starting with Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress... Now, that's a key word there. We talked about it at the very beginning. There's a suppression who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God was manifest in them, that's in the conscience, God has shown it to them in creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. What's the result of not honoring God and not being thankful to things? Thoughts become futile and hearts become darkened. Uh, they became futile in their thoughts. Their, hearts, their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. That's the first blur. There's no now God and man. It's now just all blurred. And birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. That's the second blur. Man and creatures. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness, to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. There's no creator to worship and serve anyways, who's blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which is due. So there's the third distinction between man and woman. So that the blurring results in this confusion. It's, a quite, it's, quite, an amazing, it's quite an amazing argument that Paul makes here. Now, this is why, and so we'll come back to this in just in, after lunch, but this is why that we want to have these distinctions clear in our mind. The, the, the first distinction between the, the God, the creator, and us, the creature, must be first. The second is between man and, and beast. This third, between man and woman. Okay, let's maybe do a couple of quick questions, and then we, we'll take a break. Yeah, Haas. Yep. Self-define, self-create, I am a law to myself, autonomy, that's exactly it. There's no God who made me, 
So I now have to make myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's an, Astor it's an Astorian attack on the self and a Eutychian attack on gender. So I put my soul above my body and then I blur the gender lines. Yeah, good question. So, the, so just to repeat the question, it seems like this, so these issues, the transgenderism has been there from the beginning. Uh, homosexuality has been there from the beginning. I mean, Paul's writing about it. It's in the book of Genesis. Uh, there's a, I, I've been doing this study on transgenderism in the ancient pagan world, which is I bring to Bible study, and everyone in Bible study is like, Pastor, would you stop reading that stuff? It's just really <laughs> gross. But it has been accelerated, and I think the acceleration is probably is simply technological. I mean, for example, uh, there's been sexual immorality from the beginning of the world, but there hasn't been such easy contraceptive techniques to separate the act of intimacy from having babies. Uh, the technology that exists, for example, the, the, the way that they would do hormone therapy in the ancient world for the women was pretty bad. It, it had to do with, well, I don't, it had, yeah, there was herbs, but then there was like purpose, purposeful mutilation, which would take out uh, parts of the genitalia, which would then result in different kind of hormones and stuff. And it was really, so I think, I think the technology is kind of catching up to our lusts. And that's the accelerate. Yeah. Uh, yes, Pastor. So there are a couple of things to think, just to think about there. So f first of all, this is 100% true, is that whenever, whenever we see things falling apart, it should be our spiritual instinct to repent. And we recognize, and it should be also this, what we, we really want to avoid is a sense of, of moral superiority over those people who are tempted with different sins than we're tempted with. So because, we're, because there's a way that we see, all of us have a, different, have a sinful flesh that's tempted in different ways, and we're all tempted to see that thing that I'm not tempted to do and be like, ah, that's gross. But my own sin, it's not that bad, right? It should probably be the reverse. We should see our own sin and be disgusted by our own sin and our own temptation and we should see the, uh, the, the temptations of other people and, and be able to know that, hey, Jesus loves them also. It's a really, it's a very important thing to remember that Jesus was tempted in every way, which means that he was tempted to sin in ways that you are not, but in the way that your neighbor is, so that he's able to be sympathetic with us. Now, the cultural, I think the cultural take on how the Lord deals with us as a nation is we, we, don't, we don't have prophets, so we, can't, so we can't see the direct hand of God. But I think Romans gives us a sketch there and says, look, you deny these things, it's not going to go well. And, uh, and we see the not going well all around us. So it reminds us that we need to repent. And what's the solution? Remember, we, I talked about how that we're in the fog of war and all this stuff is kind of confusing. Well, what, what do we remember? We remember that God is a creator, that he's made, he's made the fish and the birds and the, and the creatures, and he's made us, man and woman, in his image and likeness, that he's made man and woman in his likeness. We remember those things, and we remember that the devil's always going to attack those things. And what's the solution that Paul gives us? Thankfulness. 
Remember, it says that they refuse to honor God or give thanks to him. So that how do we avoid all of it? How do we avoid all this trouble? Is to thank the Lord for being our creator and redeemer and sanctifier. So as we thank the Lord for his work of creation, we build up an immunity to the, to the despair of this blurred culture. Okay, we'll pick up there when we come back after lunch. Let's do a 10-minute break. Is that okay? And so I will wrangle back up at 11.24. That's an eight-minute break. No blurred distinctions there. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to Whatnot the Podcast. God be praised that you're here. Wednesday Whatnot is the way to keep in touch. It's a free monthly newsletter that I wait. It's a free weekly newsletter. Every now and again it's monthly, but mostly it's Wednesday Whatnot, and I send out things I'm interested in, thinking about, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You can subscribe for free at wolfmuller.co slash Wednesday. And when you're at the website, check everything else out. There's like 35 free books to download. Uh, that's all there too. So I uh, hope you have fun poking around. Keep in touch. God's peace be with you. <laughs>